Okay, everybody. Um, welcome to another uh, Jaws Coffee Chat. Uh, thank you for joining us on um, November 7th for our Jaws Crisp Talk. Um, we, today we have Jennifer, John, Kurt, and Emily today. Uh, pass it over to you, Jennifer. All right, John. Now let's talk about all this interesting stuff he's got to share. Anything you've heard from your grandson? Anything interesting about Christ and the Bible and all that? Yeah. Um, I guess we'll talk about him for a minute. I got him involved. Uh, um, I was an atheist till I was 30 years old. So... And I was a pretty nasty atheist. Um, so I used to go to a lot of uh, conferences and things like that when it had to do with when they were debating like a atheist against a Christian and stuff like that. Um, and then a, a series of events occurred when I was 30. I'm 70 now, so this is 40 years ago. Um, and uh, I, I became a Christian, believe it or not. And a lot of my friends... Uh, disown me. <laughs> uh, anyways, as time went on, I actually uh, came back. I was uh, divorced from my wife, and I had left my kids in Arizona, and I took a ride to, to uh, Oregon, and that's where I found the Lord. And um, Actually, it was a funny story that how all that came about. I was a photographer back in Illinois, and I had photographed a wedding back there that was a Jewish Catholic wedding. And they had a rabbi and they had a Catholic priest there. And it was so unusual that when the groom came to pick up the photographs, the proofs with his brother, they came in and looked at the picture, and then we started talking about God intelligent designer and uh we talked for like three hours and uh then when i left illinois and i came back out to arizona i decided before i had left they had told me john hugo was his name and he was in oregon and he said if you're ever up in our neck of the woods please stop in and wouldn't you know it that's exactly what I did. I had a VW bus, and I drove, and as I drove through California, headed towards Oregon, I felt this huge presence on me. You got to remember, I was not a believer, but I felt a huge presence on me, pulling me to Oregon. And when I got there, the only information that I had on John's location was a P.O. box number. So I stopped in um, Medford, and then I drove further up into the mountains, and I stopped at a small post office, and I went in there, and I said, "I uh, all I got is a P.O. box number, and I don't know, really know how to get a hold of this person, and I, I'm trying to find him. And the postmistress was in there, and she said, well, by law, I can't tell you where they live, but you see those two guys walking out right there, those two hippie-looking guys? She said, go talk to them. <laughs> and that's exactly what I did. I went over and said, I'm looking for John. And the two of them looked at each other and laughed, and they go, who are you? So I just told them a little bit that I was a photographer at his brother's wedding. And uh, the guy goes, well, John is our best friend. And so they went over to a pay telephone, and they called John, and John almost passed out. He didn't think I'd ever show up. But I did. I followed him up there. He lived in a a um, tree house, a house that was actually built on a tree. Um, and there was actually a bunch of houses like that. And um, the I've uh, never seen such things besides in books. The tree house. Yeah, but this is a real house that's built in a really gigantic tree, you know, and. They, some there's a big hippie community up there and about half the hippie community had become Christian, believe it or not. And in the little town of Applegate, 
uh, is where they'd go to church. Um, Chuck Smith out of California was like their resident big time pastor, but John uh, John Higgins, Higgins was the pastor up there in Medford. And uh, I asked John a million questions um, about everything under the sun. And uh, he threw this book at me that was called The History of Christianity. Big, thick book, small print. And as I started to read it, I realized it had a lot of good things about Christians, but a lot of bad things about a lot of things that have gone through history. So I said, he uh, invited me to go to church and then their Bible study that they had. And I remember sitting in the church and listening to the pastor. You got to remember, this is a church that is in the middle of nowhere. And they had a thousand people show up for church in the Bible studies. That's how powerful the stuff was. And this pastor was amazing. Applegate Christian Fellowship was the name of it. Um, so, did you know that that Hagen is now somebody who's on national TV? Who? John Hagen, no, the pastor. John, no, this is not Hagee. You mean Higgins? Um, he's no, on I national TV. He's a pastor with a sermon, kind of like Charles Stanley and Ed Young, and all that. Where it goes on national TV. Okay, I don't know if it's the same guy or not. But um, but I remember sitting in church, and he would be teaching. But obviously, he was looking all over the church because he was teaching. Uh, and but I felt like he was talking to me directly. And he started when he talked about Jesus Christ. And I remember sitting there going, uh, "You know what? This is not the same Jesus that I grew up with because I grew up in a Catholic family. Um, but this was not the same Jesus Christ." Uh, and I remember sitting there thinking, I got to I got to find out who this is. You know, this is not somebody I'm familiar with. So I actually hung out there for a couple of months and I um, started to go to church there and listening. I was I got a funny story about being baptized. I was baptized in the Little Applegate River and um, the guy that baptized me was a cowboy that was about five foot two. And here I am, 6'4". So he's trying to baptize me in this little river. That's funny. It sounds like he probably couldn't have even held you. <laughs> it was very swift water in the river. And he started to drown. And as I'm underwater, I had to grab him. And I saved his life. <laughs> uh, it, it's kind of funny. Sounds but, like you ended um, up swimming. <laughs> Yeah, I saved his physical life, and he saved my spiritual life, you know. So that's what happened. And from there, I went back to Illinois, and then eventually I came back to um, Phoenix, Arizona, where my family was, and they all accepted the Lord. And to this day, our whole family are Christians. And uh, Justin, my grandson, come is from my middle son, Sean. So I just, I had a story that I, uh, something occurred a couple months after I became a Christian. Um, and I was driving in the high country and I'll actually publish it and show it to you. I put it on my blog post, but it was uh, an event that occurred that, um, I guess I could just explain it real quickly, but I was, uh, going up to work in a, a food camp up there for um, for poor people. And on my way up on a Saturday morning, I had a VW bus, and all of a sudden, my VW bus started backfiring really badly. And I pulled to the side of the road, and I got out, and uh, there was uh, I had picked up somebody to go with me that morning. And I pulled up to the side side of the road, and I walked to the back of my bus, and lifted up the rear uh, rear um, cowling to the VW bus where the engine was. And I looked in there, and one of my, the wire uh, to the one of the pistons, it only had four pistons, right? And uh, the wire was still attached to the spark plug, but the spark plug was no longer screwed into the engine. 
So that's what made it backfire. And I tried to put it in there and it burnt my fingers. It was really hot. So I just left it back open and went back in, in the VW and figuring that I'd give it about a half an hour and then I try to screw it back in. I get into the bus and I'm sitting there and all of a sudden there's a knock on my window. And it scared me because I'm in the no middle of nowhere. And this was this uh, this kid, probably about 20 years old, 19. And he said, could I get a ride? And I said, yeah, I could take you to the nearest town, but I got to wait till my um, spark plug cools off so I can screw it back in. Anyways, make a long story short. I got to talking with this kid, with this girl that was with me, and we found out that he was a kid that had ran away from, uh, he lived in a town in Washington, and he ran away, had a big fight with his parents, and he hitchhiked all the way down to L.A. And when he was in L.A., he tried to make a living, trying to, you know, beg money and stuff like that. And he actually turned into a male prostitute and lived under a bridge down there. And things got so bad for him that he decided to... Do you know how many people think there's no such thing as a male prostitute? That isn't the right thing that you've said that probably a lot of people are not aware of is that there's actually men that go through whatever kind of hard times and end up being prostitutes. Right. Because that's and, it seems like society makes it seem like men are rapists and women can't be and women are prostitutes and men can't be versus what you're talking. That's reality that most people don't realize or even acknowledge if they know it all. Right. But he was, and he said he hadn't seen his, his parents in three years. So I think when he ran away, he was like 15. So 16, 17. So he was about 18 then. Uh, it's a, started this a long time ago, but I really remember it because when I was in my creative writing class, I wrote about the story and then put it on my blog too. So um, as we're talking in the, in the VW, I said, how did you end up being way out here in the middle of nowhere? It's in high country, you know, and it, we hardly even saw a lot of traffic on the freeway. And he said, I decided to leave uh, L.A. and hitchhike on my way home. And I stopped in, um, I forgot the town that's on the highway uh, as you're leaving California going into Oregon. But anyways, he was trying to get a ride with a truck driver, and the truck driver said, yeah, come on in. And as they were driving up and through the high country, the truck driver told him he wanted a blowjob, okay? So that's what, what happened, and he said, no, I don't, I'm not doing that anymore. So the truck driver kicked him out of his truck out in the middle of nowhere the night before. So he said... I'm, I'm laying there on the other side of the berm, and I'm about to commit suicide. And I said, God, if you are really there, if you're really a God, if there is a God out there, please help me. I will give my life over to you. And he said that 30 seconds later, there was a vehicle with a, that was backfiring, pulling right up next to him. And it turned out to be me with my spark plug not plugged into the engine. And he said, I looked up over the berm and looked down, and there was this big, tall guy that was licking his fingers. And I was licking my fingers because my fingers got burnt trying to grab the spark plug. Anyways, so I took him into town, and we took him over to the outreach center. And I told the leader of the outreach center what occurred. And um, I went outside and I could see the two of them talking. And his name was Roy. And for the life of me, I can't remember the, the kid's name. Anyways, Roy said to the kid, I'm going to call your parents right now. They need to know that you're still alive. It's been three years. And I'm sitting there and I'm just looking through the window. Roy calls on the telephone, 
And Are all you of hearing sudden, the conversation? No, I couldn't hear it. Okay. I could see I could see their faces, and both of them started crying. I mean, really crying, and it made me cry because I, I I knew what was going on. I knew what was happening then, and they got through. And I they told me later that his dad answered the telephone, and he's and Roy said I'm at an outreach in uh, outside of Medford in the Applegate community in Medford. Uh, Grants Pass was actually the name of the outreach. And he says, I have your son standing next to me. Would you like to talk to him? And his dad was like dumbfounded. They had hired the FBI to try to track down this son three years before. And had spent a lot of money trying to find their son and never could, could never connect. And this kid is crying as tears out. So they're telling me the story and it even, it makes me tear up now because I was a part of something like this. Anyways, Roy gets off after about a half an hour of them all talking. Roy says, would you do me a favor tomorrow? And here's about $50 in cash. He said, would you please take the boy to the bus station and get him a bus ticket to to, to go home. And I told him, absolutely, I will do this. And it was on our way to the bus station and wait, waiting for the bus that the that this kid told me the rest of the story. And um, I was I was a new Christian. I had only been a Christian for a couple of months when all this came down. And I got a chance to witness to him too. But the whole story and God using me for this kid. You know, I think about God and the miracles that he performs. And the, the amazing thing is there's miracles that happen in time and space that have to be laid out years in advance. And it's not like the parting of a sea, but it was the parting of a sea for this kid trying to make his way home, not knowing if his folks would take him back or what, what was going on. And the mere fact that they loved this kid and just wanted him to come home no matter what. Well, so I and I think on a, based on based on the time frame you're saying that this happened, just for our listeners to understand, this is back in the days before cell phones. So they couldn't have tracked town based on where his cell phone was located. At the same time, his cell phones didn't exist. So he had no means to do anything besides use a, use a pay phone. Um, assuming that he even had a quarter because they didn't give you change, you know? Right. You had, to put and, in, you had to put in exactly one quarter or later it was two quarters, but, you know, he may not have even had that quarter to make the call or, you know, think about trying to remember his parents' phone numbers because nowadays we have all stored in our cell phones and we just select the name and it calls for us. Yeah, I think he did. He had the money to call, but he was just too scared the way he had left the house. He didn't think his parents would ever want to talk to him. But, but that made it three, a lot harder for them to track him down because nowadays they can, if they know the phone number, often they can detect which physical device, meaning the actual physical part of the phone is associated, right. and they can search for the SSD card number or something like that. Is this basically like the VIN number of a car? They can track it based on that. Yeah, I think this was like 1980. Yeah, so, so this um, is before all that, which is why it was so So just saying to listeners, that's why it was so hard to, to find him in the search versus modern day things. I never even had the, uh, the presence of mind to think to uh, call his parents. Roy had to say something to him. But I was 30 years old at this point, and Roy was uh, 65, so he was a, a father with a bunch of kids, and he knew immediately what needed to be done. So he called, and he said that when I turned the phone over to his mother, they couldn't even understand what his mother was saying. She was so emotional. She was crying so hard, and he was too. So... That's the end of that story. That was like my, what, what, what are the chances of 
a spark plug that screwed into an engine popping out of the engine and still being plugged into the end of the wire, but not no longer on the engine. What is and then, then this kid sitting on the berm of the road right next to it. What are the chances of something like that occurring? They're the astronomical. Is, you didn't know that there was a kid sitting there. No. Nope. Because part of it being so miraculous as far as your side of the story is that you had no idea there was a kid there. Like whenever you pulled over or for whatever reason, there probably wasn't a kid. Then suddenly it seems like he's there, right? Yeah. He was there on the other side of the berm, so I never saw him until he knocked on my uh, window. And then he sat behind us. I went on a VW bus, and me and the girl are sitting in front, and he we slid the door open, and he got in and sat right. But I was able to look at him, and the story that unfolded from him, you know me, I'm kind of nosy. So I always want to find out about people and things that are going on. So I was able to <laughs> That's a lot of Americans. It's not independent to you. You know, the, the story as it unfolded, I was I was like thinking I was in a movie or something. This this can't be happening to me, what he's telling me. And I had just become a Christian a short time before, and I was like, is this how God works? Who is this? Who is this creative designer that, that can put two people together, especially one one individual that's ready to, to kill himself. So anyways, that's that's how that story unfolded. And it was like one of the biggest events in my Christian life. You know, I've been a part of a couple of things, but nothing that stark, you know, that right in your face. And I, to this day, I could kick myself that I didn't get his name and at least an address or a telephone number, but I, I never thought I was so emotional. And after I dropped him off at the bus and the bus pulled away, I went to uh, the city park and sat by the lake. And I just, I just bawled. I just cried for two hours because I couldn't believe that had occurred and something similar had happened to me uh much earlier in my life you know so it was a kind of a strange story but it actually happened well and that's what miracles I, are is that there's strange stories that often don't make sense they're the quote impossible but it's only possible through christ jesus yep like the splitting and all that right because we don't understand in science any reason that could have happened and especially where even if some kind of tide happened that curved it up this way and that way on the other side, so there's an opening. Well, how is this suddenly all that sand or whatever bottom was dry? You know, that just doesn't follow the laws of science. But that's what miracles yeah. are. So, And that's, that's it. You know, um, God uh, put this timeline together. On the day I was born and the day he was born, it was just meant to be, and it came together in a 30-second spot in the middle of nowhere. Just, I, I, sometimes when I'm having a, a kind of a shallow faith or I'm, I'm trying to find out what it is that God is doing in his lifetime, I think back on this story and I go this is uh, this is uh, the, the creator that we serve and when they talk about the 99 and him going after the one that's, that's exactly what it was I, I would love to know how this kid has done since then and how his family is too but anyway that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. There you go. <laughs> so, what about anything since um, our last episode two weeks ago that you've seen going on or heard in discussions or whatever related to Christ and knowing he's real? Is that a question for me? Okay, repeat the question again. What was that? 
Has there any, been anything new since our last podcast two weeks ago that you've encountered God or lessons about the Bible or anything to share since our last episode? Um, yeah, I guess so. Um, I've had a lot of some conversations with my grandson about different things. But one of the things that uh, when I was during the wedding and I was up doing a video in front because there were so many people we knew and I just got a chance to really kind of uh, look at my wife and then I, I really visited visually with each of my sons. They all wore kilts. It was like an Irish Scottish wedding. So they all wore kilts. So I, I was actually sitting there and I've done this before when we've gone to church and I've just thought about um, how God has kept our family together. Even though we were divorced, my wife and I were divorced for a couple of years and we came back together. Okay. And then when we came back together, my, my uh, three boys all um, found Jesus. And then we have seven grandchildren and all of them are on fire for Christ. But I, at the wedding, I just got to thinking about all the stuff that happened, uh, the verbal confrontations, the anger issues. And I don't mind saying that because I know there's a lot of people out there with anger issues too and how God has dealt with that. And I just realized that it could have gone a different way. Our family could have gotten really split up and broken apart and nobody would want to talk to me again. Um, and I'm going to tell people this and I tell them all the time. It wasn't my wife's fault. It was my fault all the way through. But at the wedding, I just kind of visited each one of my three sons and my uh, grandson and granddaughters. I just early looked at them. And, and just thought about all the history. You know, all of us have a history. And, and on, on the way home from the wedding, my wife and I talked about um, the adventure our life has been and the children and how we've shared life, shared it not with just our children, but all the other people that are uh, involved in, our, in, a, in the wedding that we have known through the years. And everybody knows that we're, we're Christians and we're not always perfect, but we always, uh, you know, talk about deeper things and that we are saved and how what that looks like and what that means in a chaotic world, uh, a sinful world that has so much going on in it that it scares the bejesus out of you. Um, we live in a post-Christian time, and it is. It is a very scary time for a lot of people, but not really scary for us. But we just think about how all this came about, how this happened. And I, I just, I thank God that he entered into my life and then uh, made himself known to the rest of the, my family. Well, and you know what makes this even a scarier time is, you know, not being political, but just saying an announce something that Biden said was that his certain actions he took, whatever you think about them, were his intent of stopping the Armageddon. That he thought that if different countries did not try to stop this war, different tyrants would believe they could just take charge of the whole world and not honor other countries having their land and or properties to be independent countries. Right. You know, we talk about the Armageddon in the Bible and you're talking about a lot of hard times that we as Christians don't have to be fearful about. And that's because, well, what if that is the Armageddon? I mean, cause a lot of people say we're near the end, right? But people have said that for hundreds of years. So we don't really know, but at the same time, for those of us who have studied revelations, we know that it will be through fire that the world is destroyed. Now we don't know what will cause that fire, you know, like how 
in, with Noah, God just made it rain. He didn't say these certain cycles of meteorology explain what happened. It just happened to be enough that it flooded the world, right? But it just says God made it do, do that. So right. we don't know if maybe a war like this could break out bad enough with these, um, what they call these types of weapons they're using. They're so powerful. Right. Um, like, we don't know if those weapons, as mighty as they are, that um, they couldn't just blow stuff apart and start a fire all over the world, you know? Right. So, like, we as uh, Christians know to expect stuff like that, but we also can rest in the Bible also says somewhere in Revelation that Jesus will present himself here in a way that the whole world will see. And he will take home his followers before the Armageddon actually hits. So based off of that part of the Bible, we could rest that, you know, if this is the Armageddon, we're not going to have to, we as followers of Christ... And those who decide to accept the Lord today will not have to, uh, you know, go through that Armageddon whenever it actually happens. Right. Um, when it comes to weapons of mass destruction, uh, I was reading a book that uh, was talking about there have been five or six occasions since uh, the Second World War that a third world war should have occurred, but it did not. And two events occurred during the Bay of Pigs or the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, and then there was a, a bomber that crashed in Maryland in 1965 with two hydrogen bombs on it. And it didn't blow up. It didn't cause uh, anything to start. So sometimes those things happen, and I don't think God wants us to, to die in a holocaust like that. There are, I, I don't want to second guess God, but there are things that he has protected us from that was just not time for us. And it could have happened because if you grew up in the 1950s like I did, and um, sirens going off, and you'd have to practice hiding underneath your school desk um, because I told you that's what you needed to do to try to live through an atomic explosion. Um, you know, I'm talking about 1957, 58. Uh, and it was, you know, you just think about it and it's like, because there are so many of these weapons, there's thousands upon thousands of them. We have all these unstable rulers you know, you, you think about Putin right now with all the thousands of nuclear weapons as he has, and then Korea and uh, Iran, and and you got these crazy people that have have control of different things. You know, and Israel's got to be dealing with them on a on a regular basis from getting attacked themselves. You know, Israel, I found out, has been in war for hundreds of years trying to get its land back. They fight against, I think, it's the Jews. Say that again. Israel has been under war and so has Jerusalem for years. They've been yeah. constantly fighting with the Muslims to keep their to keep their land in their country versus being it's shifted hands over time to be parts of different countries or lands. So it's an right. ongoing battle that has been on for hundreds of years. So that's yeah, and, will ever be done with war versus will it go to war? Yeah, Israel did not really become anti-Muslim or anti-any um, of that until after the Second World War. And then uh, they were trying to get their homeland back. Um, in 1948, they became a country. And then all the Muslims uh, were egged on by the rest of the Muslim world not to let them have it. Here is this little dinky country that in the midst of all these Muslim countries, uh, they wouldn't even give Israel this piece of land. Israel's uh, history is an amazing history. No other country in the world has undergone 
um, the things that Israel has and is still a country. Um, from the day that uh, 33, when the, the, um, the, the Israel, uh, the Jews were kicked out of Israel uh, and then uh, going, spreading out all over the world. And then 2000 years later, they decided to come back to their homeland again. Um, it's, it's amazing. The, the whole story, if you really look at it, is just amazing. Um, you can see a lot of miracles that happen with God. And the Jews are not perfect people. They were, they were goofy people. They did a lot of stupid things. But God still loved them anyway. And I think it's just like mankind. There's a lot of crap that we do that we get ourselves into trouble. And uh, God still loves us. He still puts, pulls us out of the mess and the but do, you were saying about the the Jews do stupid stuff, as you said. Do you think that's really independent to the Jews versus us as humans and our human nature yeah. to, and desire yeah. to sin? Yes, that's what exactly sin, what not it desire, is. But you know, yeah, it's exactly what it is. That's our sinful human nature. I was listening to John MacArthur today, and he had a teaching on why is there such chaos. In our in our world today, why is this? And he he kicked right in uh, about the sinful nature that's within human beings. He was talking about the four things that that keep humans somewhat level, but it doesn't always work. But God has to put it in there. Uh, he has written on our hearts right from wrong, but we can push past that and do what we want to do anyway. Uh, and it was, you'd have to hear the whole teaching on it. And I was like, Oh my God, humans are sick. We are sick. You know, and you, you just look at uh, humans uh, throughout the centuries and the wars that we cause and the things that happened that we um, did and we're still doing you know, because we want it. We, we're so greedy. Um, and it will happen till the end. It's not going to get better. Well, and it's not just uh, greedy, but it's there's different avenues or methods of selfishness that is our human nature to be selfish. It's not spiritually right. It's not, it's not right in the eyes of God to be selfish. God doesn't accept that. He considers it a sin, but still that that is our nature as humans. Like my best friend um, was telling me when I went to breakfast with him on Friday, you go to certain countries like in Africa and, and he said also in Mexico, he said, and you'll see parents, different adults that are overweight. And then you'll see kids that are malnourished with them. And it's because they don't have enough meat or other sources of nutrient besides just grains. So the parents are being selfish, eating majority of the food so they have a full belly, and the kids are going without. And because they don't have the laws we do, or we have to provide for our children, even if it's at our expenses, we're the ones that can't eat so that our kids can. You know, those are laws we have, and a lot of us take for granted. And then there's countries like Mexico he was talking about, where the parents are overweight because they, they take all the nourishment to get themselves happy because they can't deal with hunger, yet they put their kids through that because the kids can't fend for themselves, neither are there laws to protect the kids in those countries. Yeah. Just an example of selfishness is that it's a modern-day issue in other countries. Yeah. The other other issue that we've got in this country, too, is uh, has to do when a mother and a father divorce and the mother is raising her kids. And the father almost uh, doesn't want to have anything to do with the, the family anymore, the kids. And he won't support them financially. He just ignores them then. And here she is raising like three kids. Uh, talk about selfishness. It's, it's amazing. And uh, so it, it's, it's pretty... The sinful nature that we have has been there from the very beginning. 
and all the stuff that's going on right now is well, getting worse. Well, that's Adam and Eve. We, we accepted sin as to be a part of us when Eve ate the fruit in the middle of the garden. And then she gave it to Adam and Adam as well. Accepted right. sin as being part of our nature. Remember what Paul said? He said, uh, why do I do the things that I do that I know I should not do? And why don't I not do the things that I know I should not do? But I do. This whole body of death. And it, and it is. It's Our whole body is death. I know throughout my life, especially before I became a Christian, but even after I became a Christian, some of the stuff I did to hurt people, to sin, uh, to do different things that I did along the way, and my selfishness, I, I look back. And I have a tendency to do some of these things even today. But I know it's a it's an ongoing fight. It's a battle that you will deal with till till you die. And I will, you know, my shoulders will be so relieved when I don't have this sinful nature part of me anymore. It's just uh, just it's hard to fathom some of the things that human beings have done, but some of the things I've done. You know, I'm not going to make any excuses for anybody else. But yeah, I, did I think some... basically what you're saying is that we all have regrets because we all have sinned. Yes. It's yeah. just different people may have sinned to different degrees. Like some we as Americans have a hard time forgiving or like murderers and stuff like that. And then there's others that we ourselves may be doing knowing or not knowing or even denying like white lies. Because, oh, they don't hurt anybody. Well, you know, they actually, they're still wrong, right? They're still a sin right. in the eyes of God. But, you, so there's like a reason in the human mind, like certain crimes are more severe than others. Other things are dishonesty, but they're not, quote, a crime, right? But in, I, in God's eyes, they're all sins, and they're all equally as bad. The liar is to the murderer. Right. And uh, like I'm a man and, and it talked about if you look at a woman with that lust in your heart, you know, that you might as well have um, done it because um, that's sinful, too. It's it's you got to you've got to remind yourself over and over. And we have a culture that promotes it and it shoves it in our face over and over all the time. Something I think is important based on what you're saying is you're making it sound like that's a battle you have because you're a man that I as a woman wouldn't have. But women can also lust. And maybe a bigger struggle for men, depending upon, you know, what we know in psychology and stuff related to hormones and all that kind of health, maybe a bigger challenge. But we equally, as both men and women of the world, have those desires to some point. And are still considered sinning in the eyes of God when we just simply lust for somebody, even if we never touch them or, you know, say anything to them, make eye contact or any other form of communication. Absolutely. That's a good point you got. Um, it's just there, there's just so many things that can take us. You know, it's not only the chaos in our world, but uh, the Satan and the dominions that are behind all of this uh, want to take us down so quickly. Some of the uh, addictions people have from alcohol to drugs to pornography uh, to gambling, everything else in between, there's just so many things that come at us. Over. Look at drugs. How many people are just that this may not be considered, quote, wrong legally in the U.S.? But how many people are addicted to caffeine? They can't go the morning without a cup of coffee or tea or whatever source of caffeine. And if they get through the day without that one or however many, right, that they're addicted to and they're dependent upon, they end up being irritable or some other kind of mood thing. And it's, oh, I just haven't had a cup of coffee today. Kind of label, right? So it becomes yeah. an excuse. 
But see, most people don't look at that and say that's a drug because it's legal versus thinking God's eyes as opposed to the U.S. government. Right. Gambling, too. Um, when you see the Powerball going up to a billion and a half dollars and everybody gambling on it, how many people are affected by gambling that hears all these advertisements for it, you know? Um, and then uh, pornography, too, and how pornography has infected men and women and children. Uh, and about the gambling, like how many lives are suffering because, say, the dad has a gambling addiction and so the mom is constantly working and the kids are in starvation or otherwise suffering, neglected. And mom is trying her best. Dad, either he, if he's acknowledged it, he's highly struggling with his addiction. But that doesn't mean he doesn't love them, but still that you get what I mean, the degree of the addiction and how it ends up other people in their lives suffer. It's not just them fighting the battle. It's well, because they're spending money they don't have, they end up in high debt and yep. somebody goes without as a result result. And that's why I think spiritually, like God, God says stuff like that is wrong. And I think it's because of that domino effect with the example I gave. Right. I never had an addiction like that. I think I came close with pornography maybe, but I was never really that far in there. I, I, I went to a 12 step program for men in a church here, a local church. And there was probably about 30 men would show up on a Tuesday night. And it was amazing to me because there was a lot of alcoholics in there, but also um, uh, guys that were involved in pornography. Um, and it seems like if you were addicted to one thing, you were opened up to being addicted to a couple things. And I would listen to these stories and just thanking God that that hook was not inside me. But I had my own hooks. You know, I had anger issues. You know, I was, in a lot of ways, I think I was like a dry drunk, you know. Even though I wasn't a drinker, um, I had some of the same um, attitudes and some of the same things that would come out of me because I would hear some of these guys, they belong to our 12 step but they also belong to alcoholic anonymous and i would i would listen to the stories and i was like holy mackerel that almost sounds like me but i'm not drinking how is that possible but i realized that you could be a dry drunk um so it just can i ask what you mean by a dry drunk what, listeners may know what you mean by that well you have a lot of the same a lot of drunks drink because of things that have happened to them in the past, like drug addiction, you know, and there's a lot of military guys that have become drunks too throughout their lives, but there's a lot of guys that grew up with alcoholism with their parents, and uh, you know, sometimes a dry drunk is somebody that has real anger issues, that yells a lot or screams and wants his way. Um, that he will do other things like a drunk would do, um, you know, disappear for a day or two or not take care of things like they should. Um, you, you may not be spending the money and drinking, getting loaded, sitting out in your car before you come in the house at night after work. Um, you know, they used to say in the 50s and 60s, everybody would have their cocktails. It was just another excuse to be a drunk through the 50s, 60s, and 70s, you know. Um, I, I knew my parents drank a little bit, but I remember my dad coming home from work, and he just said he had to have something to calm him down. And uh, me, myself, I used to smoke a, a lot of pot, okay. I come out of that generation of the late 60s, early 70s, I haven't smoked any pot for 40 years now because I have uh, one of those things. Uh, if you smoke, I get really, really stressed out. Um, in the 
when I first started smoking pot, it used to calm me down and stuff, but my high changed. And I found out that it's very typical of people that smoked a lot of pot at one time, that their high changed. They, be, they become very paranoid. Uh, well, 25%. and also they become more dependent. So kind of like with caffeine, you build a resistance. So you need more of it to get the same effect. Yeah. Uh, but they make pot now where you can buy pot that is extremely powerful, you know. But I just uh, I just don't, I haven't smoked it because I would get so paranoid. And I was like, what's the point in doing this? Talk about getting stressed out in your life, you know. So in other but words, now you're saying that the marijuana caused the paranoia, so you found it pointless to do the marijuana. Yeah. But I think even later on, once I became a Christian, I realized, uh, like, like drinking, I don't really need that. Uh, you know, it's been so long, and when I've had this problem with my hip and stuff, I just try to stay away from alcohol altogether because I'm unstable enough when I get around. So yeah, it's that's not true. It's a lot of us mental health problems, and one of the things that, um. Healthcare people say is to avoid alcohol, but how many of us, you know, on our mental health awareness, how many of us actually go to it because we can't deal with whatever's our reality? Yeah, that's that's it in a nutshell. It's but doing I think something. We need to we need to look up to Christ, turn to Christ, and I've even been in a Bible study and we're talking about God's healing and that. Um, one of the scriptures talks about um, something about whatever we may pray and, and ask for, God will bless. And so I've started to pray asking for healing, healing in my conditions. You know, it's, and I mean, God put me through the brain surgery. He took me through the, the 11 years of, I mean, 11 months of uh, different testings where I spent 10 days at a time in the hospital, in a hospital bed, not able to get up in order to have brain surgery. And then he turned me into a new person with more mental stability, even though, you know, John, from a week or so ago, that I still have some instability as far as my mental health. But, like, if you hadn't known me three years ago, you wouldn't even believe I'm the same person. And a lot of people don't. I mean, they know, but it's hard to believe. You know what I mean? Right. Like, the way God worked. For me, he turned the pandemic into a time of healing and relief. He recovered oh, me that, from epilepsy. That's wonderful. 30 cases in the country to now being in a two-year period as of December 22nd. That December 22nd, 2022 will mark my second year anniversary since my operation. And August of 2022, or maybe it was September of 2022, I had one seizure, but to go from one to five seizures a day to now almost two years and only one, that's quite a job. That's amazing. Um, that's God's healing God hand. Guided me to the right doctor. He took me through the process. Right. Even though I was super anxious and I thought I'd never make it through. And I battled death many times just simply having to go get an EEG and other basic stuff like that because of my autism and all. But he saw me through. And if it wasn't for him, I never would have been able to go to networking and I never would have been able to meet Emily and Kurt that had the idea of this podcast that you and I are doing right now. It originated with them. Emily was the one that first yeah. saw me as a great candidate of being a co-host of theirs. And then later she saw me as a great person with my entrepreneurship of having my own with her and Kurt helping me. Like she's the one that sees stuff in me. Kurt's the one I met in a, in the happy neighborhood project networking. So by God just putting Kurt in in my life and putting me in the right, the right networking group at the right time on the right day. So much has unfolded. He's blessed 10 times over, just like scripture says. Yeah, it's so much about timing. Um, it's also so about much. advice when he tells you to do or not do certain things, even if you're not comfortable with it. Right. Um, 
Yours is a miracle story, too. We all have a story because we have this proclivity and we have this in nature, but God wants to bless us. He wants to bless us very badly, but we're, we Often can't handle it. an opportunity. You realize that? You're saying he wants yeah. to, but what a lot of us don't know is we don't give him the opportunity because we don't first acknowledge him as our Lord and Savior. Because if he does bless us in some instances, we'll go the opposite direction. That's you know, true. It's got to be, you know, the stuff that God does, the complexity behind it and all the people that he does, I can barely handle my own life much less a couple people's lives, but look totally. at what he does. He's dealing with billions of human beings. And, you know, I think about the prayers that that inundate him, the millions of prayers that, that come at God every minute all across this globe, and he's able to handle it and, and do the right thing for each and every human being. I well, as good as this is getting, we're running out of time. Emily? Uh, does anybody have any uh, announcements that they would like to share? Uh, do you have any announcements, John? Nope. I'm, I'm all talked out. I'm all jawed out. Because you came jawing along, didn't you? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't mean to tell that story about the, the VW and the spark plug. It just happened. So I hope I didn't bore us, anybody. You can unleash our mouths and make it move in ways we don't mean. Yeah. Okay. So as far as announcements, <laughs> um, everybody listening or watching, uh, here is our social media candidate, uh, Calendly link for uh, if you think you're the right candidate for our social media manager uh, role with this podcast, you go to calendly.com slash J-E-N-N-S books and more. That's calendly.com slash Jen's books and more. And that's for a social media candidate. Anybody who feels they're the right candidate for uh, basically managing our social media and growing our listeners, we want to hear from you and see you on our calendar to meet with us, uh, the team, so we can see if you are the best fit. At the same time, we are looking for a virtual assistant. So if you are a virtual assistant or an admin assistant or anybody else who thinks you can basically be a virtual assistant for us and you're interested in joining our team, working from home, please go to calendly.com slash Jen's books and more. That's a virtual assistant uh, candidate to go to calendly.com slash J E N N S books and more. Uh, these are the, the two roles, the virtual assistant we need and the social media manager. And both can go to the same link, Houndly.com slash J-E-N-N-S, books and more. We hope to, to find the right person to join our team. So please be sure to get on our calendar if you are interested and think you may be a good fit. And then for all the listeners, please be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app to Jaws Coffee Chat or on the social media and wherever else you found us. Go for it, Emily. I uh, just wanted to thank everybody for uh, who's here right now. Uh, our next episode will be next Monday, um, November 14th. Um, and uh, to be sure to subscribe to our channel or page where you found us and check out our website to find about more books, other podcasts, and more by Jennifer A. Whitaker uh, at www.jensbooksandmore.com. That is J-E-N-N-S, booksandmore.com. And until next time, we wish you a productive and enjoyable week.
Thank you.